Jesus said what series? We've been challenged these last few weeks, the last month or so, to look at what appears to be controversial statements made by Jesus throughout his life about things like sin, loving our enemies, taking our faith for granted, about cost of following him, faith, materialism, and caring for others. And it's great to see that so many people are already starting to apply those things to life. Now, let's remember that the things that we've learned so far may only seem controversial, as Pastor Joe has pointed out in the first message, because the kingdom of God is so countercultural to the reality of this fallen world, this world of self that we all live in. So if you're new here today, or you haven't had a chance to listen to each and every one of these sermons, I really encourage you to, and I encourage you to be challenged. Today, we'll be looking at Jesus says what about forgiveness? In my mind, a particularly challenging topic if we are honest with ourselves. Today's Bible reading is from Matthew 18, 21 to 35. And we'll be reading from the New King James Version. Um, for those of you who know me, as is my custom, I like to read one line and then you guys read the next, so we take turns. So I'll read verse 21, you read verse 22. I'll read verse 23, you read 24, until we're at the end of the passage. Sounds good? Great. So I'll start. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts. One was brought to him who uh, accounts with his servants. Sorry. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay you all. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and they came and told their master all that had been done. Should you also have had compassion on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Let's bow our head and some pray. Um, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We know that your word 
is powerful. We know that your word is truth. Lord, please open our hearts today, Lord God, to really, really, Lord God, be good soil, to really not only hear your word, but be doers of it. Father, please help me in my weakness to be able to impart its truth to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I apologize. Before I start, I'm going to try to hook this up on me. I feel like this microphone has expanded 10 times. I was telling Mike, and it keeps falling off my head, so <laughs> I'll just try to clip it on myself. Um, back in the day, my brother, who used to come to this church before he moved to Alexandria, um, used to always come and say, Chair, oh, sis, you know, like, you're not wearing the microphone properly. That's why you're always struggling. Okay, I think I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I feel like it's expanded over the years. I'm not going to blame any particular preachers, but... <laughs> I mean, look, so, so, um, yeah, so, so, some, some, of, some of us has big, have big heads, you know, uh, yeah, and look, it's, um, you know, we're all human beings, right? Some of us have big heads, so it's cool. All right, um, apologies, so hopefully I won't fiddle with it anymore. Um, anyhow, thank you so much for assisting me with the Bible reading. Um, let's get on with today's message, yeah? Now, have any of you here um, heard about what they call the porcupine dilemma? Anyone heard of that? Alyssa's laughing. Sounds like you do know the porcupine dilemma. Um, well, for those of you guys who've studied psychology before, perhaps, you may know that the porcupine dilemma is a metaphor that's used to describe by psychologists the challenges of human intimacy and relationships. It describes a situation where we have a group of porcupines who want to get warm because it's a cold night, and they try as a result to huddle closer together. However, as we all know, porcupines have sharp spikes. So, unintentionally, they cannot help but hurt each other. As a result, unfortunately, these spikes cause them to slowly move further and further apart from each other until they cannot remain together. So, according to the psychologists, like these porcupines, us human beings, as a general consensus, share the same intentions or the desire to have a close reciprocal relationship with each other. However, too often we find it hard to achieve due to reasons that we don't fully understand or that we do not seem to be able to avoid. I probably, yeah, some of you are nodding, yep, some of you agree with, that, <laughs> with that, that, that issue. I probably don't have to elaborate too much, right? Because I think we all can agree that as a human being we're flawed and we're sinful and we make mistakes. So even when you know, we have the best of intentions, or when we try our very best, we can't help but you know, there have been times where we've unfortunately hurt others or been hurt ourselves. So how does this porcupine dilemma then fit in with forgiveness? Well, in my opinion, if this porcupine dilemma analogy is really true of human nature, I believe that forgiveness then is the key. It's the thing that's going to help us, porcupines or humans, remain together. To explain, let's first look at how we define forgiveness and what it really is. So today, forgiveness is a conscious and deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment, vengeance towards a person who has harmed you but get this, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. I think 
that last part is absolutely key. Forgiveness is a choice. It is a choice, our choice, to release those negative emotions regardless of what our offender chooses to do or chooses not to do. And on the flip side, we see that unforgiveness, therefore, is the inability or the desire not to let go. And as a result, and I know many of us probably have seen that in the lives of others and maybe our own, it can lead to anger, pain, hatred, bitterness. I'm sure there are many more negative adjectives that we can come up for that. So in today's Bible passage, we start with a question. A question from one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, in verse 21, and then his response in 22. So if you don't mind, could you please read this with me again together? One, two, three. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So Peter's question, if I was to maybe yeah, ad lib, Lord, if my brother did wrong against me, if my brother has sinned against me, how many times am I expected to pardon him, to forgive him? Maybe maximum seven times? Now, considering that in the previous verses of this same passage, Jesus had been giving them advice on how to deal with a sinning brother, I think this question is very reasonable. It's also important to note that based on the writings of the minor prophet Amos, the religious teachers at the time interpreted, or some would say misinterpreted, that a person should be forgiven a maximum of three or four times. That was what they came up with. So we consider that context. Peter's offer of seven times is actually pretty generous. It's double. But how does Jesus respond? He says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. We've got Pastor Ben here, but I know there's a lot of other mathematicians in the house. 70 times seven, what's that? Who's got the answer? Whoa, that was quick, David. <laughs> 490. 490 times Jesus says, we are expected to forgive our brother. Why such a specific number? What's so great about this 490? And how about after that? Yeah, exactly. And I don't know about you guys, who in the world is going to be able to keep tally of 490 times? Like, how are we going to make sure they don't like get to that 491? Like, it's crazy, right? I don't even have a chalkboard that big. And that's exactly Jesus' point. Jesus' point is, one, forgiveness is not about limits. Forgiveness should be unconditional. And secondly, forgiveness is not about a specific number. It's about our very nature itself. In other words, why we forgive is drastically important. Maybe not as much as important as how many times we did. Although they come hand in hand. So to emphasize the heart of forgiveness, this nature of forgiveness that we need to learn, Jesus proceeds then to tell them a parable. For those of you guys who are maybe new to parables, 
Um, parable is a simple story, which the people of the time were able to relate to. And Jesus would use these stories to teach a moral or spiritual lesson to his people and his disciples. Um, to get the most out of a parable, I should say that we need to understand its overall arching meaning. You know, it's holistically. So let's not get um, bogged down by the specifics of the detail and take it literally. Let's look at you know, the overarching meaning that it's trying to teach us. Today's um, parable, as we know, is about an unforgiving servant and a merciful king. So firstly, I'd like us to read about the merciful king from verses 23 to 27. So please read that me. One, two, three. Therefore, the kingdom is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him his debt. In this parable, firstly, we see that there's a king. And this king had a servant who owed him a huge, huge debt, 10,000 talents. So to put it into context for you guys, one talent is about 20 years' salary for a man back in that time. In other words, again, if you can do the maths, this guy, this servant, owed the king about 200,000 years' worth of salary. What in the world was he doing? <laughs> in fact, biblical scholars of the time note that 10,000 was also, at that time, the largest number in the Greek language. So this further emphasizes how huge, how unmeasurable, immeasurable this debt was of this servant. Whichever way we look at it, there's absolutely no way that anyone could pay that back, let alone this servant here. And yet, the parable tells us that the servant goes to the king, falls down on his knees, and does what? Begs him for more time. More time? We're talking about 200,000 years worth of salary. Like, how much more time would you need to get that? Like 10 lifetimes? 100? But surely not in his life would he be able to pay that. Now, if that's surprising, what's more surprising is the king's response. Because despite this enormous debt that this servant had that could never, ever possibly be repaid, and the ridiculous request for more time, the king has compassion on him. And the king chooses to forgive the debt in full. That's insane. If we think of it in terms of our modern culture, let's say if I was to say the average income was about $50,000 a year, maybe some of us more that, more, earn more than that, that's, a, that's, that's wiping away a $10 billion debt. No strings attached, no conditions. Just because he asked him. How can this be? Well, church, it can. And it already has. Because for you and I who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, we are partakers of this forgiveness we have already partaken of this mercy. 
as I've highlighted in the hedgehog dilemma, we humans are all sinners. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we hurt each other, and most of all, in our own selfish way, we put other things before God. We deny Him of His rightful place. As Romans says, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that penalty, that wage of sin, is death. There's not one of us, not a single one of us, that is righteous. So just as this king in this parable could have sentenced this servant and his family and everything had he ever owned into imprisonment and slavery for the rest of his life, God could have also sentenced us to death. But he didn't. Instead, in his love and mercy for us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place. Jesus took the penalty of death, which we all deserved. Romans 5, 6-8. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So not only did Jesus do that for us, take that punishment, that sin that we deserved, Jesus also conquered death by rising again from the dead on the third day. And thanks to his resurrection, we can now be in a right relationship with God and have eternal life if we choose to believe. So in other words, if we are willing to repent of our sins, Jesus is willing to forgive us, just as the king in this parable was willing to forgive his servant. Church, I implore you today, if you are yet to receive that forgiveness, if you have yet to repent and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins, please take that gift of grace, that opportunity today. Now, in contrast to the merciful king, let's look at the next part of the parable, which tells us about the unforgiving servant from verses 28 to 30. Please read this with me. One, two, three. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So after being forgiven such an enormous, unrepayable debt, it is very hard, sad to see that this servant does not even extend a fraction, not even a tiny bit of the forgiveness and the mercy that he had just received from the king. In this parable, we see that the servant, after leaving the king's presence, meets up with a fellow servant who this time owes him 100 denarii. 100 denarii is the equivalent of approximately 100 days' worth of wages. You don't have to be a mathematician to work out that 100 days' worth of wages 
is like a drop in the ocean in comparison to the 200,000 year depth he had with the king. And yet, what does he choose to do? It's sad to say he chooses to throw this fellow servant into prison until he could pay it back. He chose not to forgive. So in contrast to the king's mercy, perhaps some of us will see parallels, if you like, of the unforgiving nature of this servant to our own selfishness and the reality of the world that we live in today. Despite partaking of the grace of God, despite being forgiven and blessed each and every day, so many of us still choose to hold on to petty offences or get offended uh, by things people say or hurt caused by others. And too often, it's because of our pride. And sometimes, it's also because of our perception of justice. And maybe for others, sadly, it's also the, because of the desire to hold on to that right to anger and to bitterness and vengeance and resentment. And that keeps us from forgiving others. I'm sad to say that I see the effects of unforgiveness quite a lot in my current workplace, as I have the unfortunate task of performance managing quite a number of staff. Um, in, in my one-on-ones with these employees who are often struggling to meet the targets of the workplace, um, it doesn't take long for the support discussion to become a blame game, right? They start blaming everyone and anything. They start saying things like, so-and-so, they did this, and as a result, I'm not able to excel. I've been discriminated against. I've been discriminated against, and because of that, I have not had the opportunities. So-and-so did this to me, and therefore, I cannot improve, I cannot change. You know what saddens me the most um, about these interactions with these employees? Is that the majority of time, in fact, 90% of the time, the people who they perceive as causing them hurt or the, thing, the people that they're holding on that resentment to, they've long gone. In fact, some of them have left the company years ago and they still choose to cling on to that unforgiveness. Those people who've left aren't even aware. They don't even realize how hurt or what has happened to this person. In their mind, they're still owed justice. In that mind of the employee, they still want something to be done. And therefore, they hold on to this unforgiveness. And they allow the bitterness then to affect not only their career, but unfortunately, affect the whole of their lives. Now, I'm not saying that the hurts of these people are insignificant. And I'm not saying that the hurts of these people are illegitimate, because we all know that sin cuts very deep. And we know that some scars are so deep that it takes a long, long, long time to heal, and it is significant. I'm also not saying that forgiving another person is easy, because absolutely it is not. We've got to remember, though, forgiveness is a choice. And I personally believe that true forgiveness is actually the working of the Holy Spirit in us, God working through us. Talk a bit more about that later. Nevertheless, we come back, into this, come back to this passage, 
Let's remember that firstly, one, the fellow servant was pleading for mercy. This showed that he acknowledged his 100 denarii debt. He knew and understood that he owed that money. Secondly, this other servant was also asking for the same thing that this servant had just previously asked of the king. Literally, word for word, have patience with me and I will pay you all. More time, please, so that I can pay off this debt. Nevertheless, despite the pleas of his fellow servant and despite the mercy that he had already received from the king for his unrepayable debt, he chooses not to forgive. And as a result, we see the consequences of unforgiveness. Verses 31 to 35. Please read this with me. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved, and they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So firstly, we see from verse 31 that as a result of this unforgiveness, other servants are grieved and they cry out to the king. Even today, we know that unforgiveness does not necessarily only affect the people who are in the middle of the conflict, but it also affects people around it and maybe even those onlookers. Um, can I, if I give you an example, let's say as a church, we were not able to forgive each other and extend mercy to each other. So as a result, every day when we came into church on Sunday, we'd be arguing and we're bickering and we're gossiping. How do you think that would reflect on our Christian witness in this community and to those around us? Would anyone want to go to such a church where all they would hear is arguing and bickering? I wouldn't want to go to such a church. But the sad reality is unforgiveness can and has been the reason for churches and believers dividing and breaking apart. And there's no doubt that if we choose not to forgive someone, although we have been given, forgiven greatly and received much forgiveness, it would probably cause others to question the authenticity, the reality of our faith and what we truly believe. Secondly, we see as a consequence that the unforgiving servant is held accountable for his unforgiving actions. Verse 32 tells us that the unforgiving servant is brought before the master, the king. And now the very angry king says to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And due to this lack of compassion, due to this lack of forgiveness, this servant, which was once free of his debt, is now delivered to the torturers until he can repay it all back, which we've already established is never. Jesus, in verse 35, then gives a stern warning to his disciples, and I believe to all of us today. He has, says, 
so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Jesus said what? Jesus said that we will be tortured, that we will be tortured if we do not wish to forgive our brother his trespasses from our heart? Does that seem a little bit harsh? Well, the truth is, this warning is also expressed in other passages, like Matthew 6, when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And verse 12, which is part of the Lord's Prayer, so most of you might be familiar with this line, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. But then in verse 14 and 15, we see Jesus proceeds by saying, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What? Jesus said what? He's not going to forgive us of our trespasses if we don't forgive others? Wasn't Jesus' love supposed to be unconditional? Aren't we saved by grace through faith? What's all this mean? Well, fortunately for us, the latter two questions, the answer is yes. So yes, Jesus' love is unconditional. And remember, we know this because he chose to die for us even when we were still sinners. And the second question, yes, we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. Because remember, just like that unforgiving servant, there is no possible way, there's nothing in the world that we can do to ever repay the debt of our sin, the wages which was death. It was only because Jesus stood in our place, it's only because Jesus took that penalty for us that we are redeemed if we choose to believe. So to understand why Jesus uses such a stern warning, I think we need to go back to the very reason why he told this parable in the first place. Does anybody remember what that reason was? If you remember, it was because he was teaching his disciples that forgiveness is not about a number. He was teaching disciples that forgiveness is about our very nature. It is about, essentially, our heart. Why we choose to forgive and the attitude in which we choose to forgive is central, is key to forgiveness itself. Forgiveness is about what's in here, in our hearts. And forgiveness is, and we forgive because Christ first forgave us when we did not deserve it. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Church, the reality is there is no greater offense than the sins that we have 
and that we continue to commit against God. Our God who loves us, our God who created us, our God who is always good and has always been good to us. So we understand the magnitude of our sin. And if we also understand the magnitude of God's forgiveness, His love, His mercy, which was first bestowed upon us, as hard as it is, as difficult as it may be, we would desire to forgive others who have sinned against us. And it can be argued then that someone who chooses not to forgive a fellow sinner after having received this immeasurable grace from God, who died in our place, it would be arguable that there will be questions raised about how legitimate and honest their faith is and about what they truly believe. And just as the unforgiving servant was delivered to the torturers for eternity as he could never pay his debt back, perhaps we too are delivered to the torturers and subjected to the greatest torture when we choose to hold on to unforgiveness and the feelings and the hurts and the vengeance and the resentment that comes from it. As I mentioned before in the beginning of this message, I personally have experienced that sort of resentment and bitterness. And I experienced that for a period of time because I chose not to forgive a particular person in my life who had hurt me for many years. Although I believed in God's existence and started attending church, and I knew that I should let go, I, to be honest, I didn't want to let go of my unforgiveness. I didn't want to let go of my hurt. Because as far as I was concerned, that person did not forgive, did not deserve forgiveness. And my way of dealing with it was to keep myself as far away from them as possible. So just to avoid them, basically. But through his word and through the body of, the Christ, a body of Christ, God started to show me the depths of my own sin, the depths of my own transgressions, and also the depths of his love. And it made me realize and it convicted me to truly forgive. Now, did that make it easier to do so? Absolutely not. In fact, it was hard. Well, at first, anyway, it was very hard because I had to make that conscious decision each and every day to forgive this person even when they had not asked forgiveness and even when they had not repented. And I had to make a conscious effort to let go of those hurts and let go of those emotions that threatened to you know, um, create bitterness in my heart which would then flow onto my actions when I encountered that person each and every day. However, church, as I followed Jesus' instructions in Matthew 5:44 to love my enemy and pray for those who persecute me slowly I started to witness a miracle I start to witness firstly the Holy Spirit Christ in me transforming my heart so I could love that person and I could forgive and then secondly I started to see the Holy Spirit transform 
that person also. And that's what I mean when I said before that I believe that true forgiveness is actually the working of the Holy Spirit. It's actually Christ in us. It's Christ that enables us to do so. Because if we're honest with ourselves, forgiveness goes against every fiber of our fleshly being. Our flesh wants to control. Our flesh wants to hold on. Our flesh wants to be right. Our flesh wants justice. And most of all, our flesh struggles to trust God, to surrender to Him and believe that this situation is in His hands if I just depend on Him. Now, not everyone's situation is like me, I understand, and not everyone you know, gets to see the offender or the person that hurts them change and become a better person and transform in front of their eyes. However, I believe that the choice to forgive is still the same for all of us, and I believe it is only through the Holy Spirit that we are actually able to. It is God that enables us to forgive others, no matter how great the offense. And finally, I also believe that as we pray, as we commit this person to God, and as we surrender them to Jesus in ways that we do not understand and in ways that we cannot see, He does His good and perfect will in both our lives. So in summary, from the question, we learn that forgiveness is not about a number. Forgiveness is about our very nature. Forgiveness is about our heart. Secondly, from the merciful king shows us that just as the king forgave his servant, Jesus, in his great mercy, forgave and paid the debt of our sin. He paid it in full, even though none of us, not a single one of us, deserved it. Thirdly, the unforgiving servant reminds us that we live in a fallen world and our selfish nature naturally finds forgiveness difficult. Just as the servant, though he had been forgiven much, struggled and could not forgive another. And finally, the consequences of unforgiveness show us that unforgiveness affects everyone. It has effects not only to those who are directly involved, but to all around us. And it also warns us that each and every one of us will be accountable for our unforgiving actions. To conclude um, today's message, I'd like just to offer maybe some practical applications I believe that we can take from this topic. So firstly, forgive from the heart as Jesus first forgave you, us. I think that point I've been going on about throughout this whole message, and this is really key, forgiveness is not about pretenses. Forgiveness is not about looking good or looking okay. Forgiveness is really about what is going on inside our hearts and our attitude and why we forgive. And secondly, we're able to forgive because we understand that we first have been forgiven an immeasurable and unrepayable debt through Jesus Christ. So as hard as it is, this is the first and most important application. Second, I think we need to seek to pursue peace with all people. And we mustn't allow bitterness and those other negative feelings that come from unforgiveness to take root in our heart. We see it in Hebrews 12, 14 to 15 as well. It says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. 
look carefully lest anyone falls short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So church, we must seek to be holy, we must seek to be righteous in our actions and our interactions with each other, and we mustn't allow even the tiniest bit of evil intent, not even the tiniest bit of negativity, to come and corrupt our hearts and let this unforgiveness then flow into our actions and the way that we live. And thirdly, let's seek reconciliation with others even before we come before God. Mark eleven twenty five says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, and your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Then furthermore, in Matthew 5, 25, 24, we see that Jesus tells a person who has come to the altar to offer a gift. He tells them, go and reconcile with your brother before you come and offer this gift and then come back and offer it. So what is Jesus saying here? I believe he's saying that God wants us to be right with one another. He wants us as a church also to be right with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So if we have any grievances, if we have any hurts, if we have anything we need to confess, we should do that in a loving and caring way with each other. And we should do that even before we can truly approach Christ in worship. I know that's a challenge, and it's a challenge that I want to encourage you all in today. Let us really, as a church, as a body of Christ, not only with those outside of these four walls, but even amongst ourselves, have that love and care and forgiving spirit amongst ourselves. So church, as we just started with a question um, today, my message was firstly about Peter's question, I'd like to now finish with two questions. Firstly, have you asked God for forgiveness? Have you repented of your sin? Are you right before Him? If not, please, today is your chance, today is your opportunity to come back into a right relationship with Jesus. And it's your chance to spend eternity with Him. Secondly, are you holding on to feelings of bitterness or resentment, things that come out of unforgiveness? Is there someone that you need to forgive? And if that's so, today is your chance also. It's your a chance to forgive, not necessarily because that person deserved it or asked for it, but because you know how much you have first been forgiven by Jesus. And it's also your chance to be healed today, to be healed from the bitterness and the resentment and all those other negative emotions that result from unforgiveness. So, if you're one of these people, please allow me to give you this opportunity and this time now um, to express that to the Lord and to confess that to the Lord in whatever you way you wish to do. Um, you can verbalize it where you stand or you can get down your knees. You can speak it in the quietness of your heart. You can even come down up the front if you'd like um, so that we can pray for you and we can support you in that. I'm going to take this moment now um, to allow you to do that. So let's bow our heads and close your eyes and then I'll close us in prayer.